Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Star Trek books. They've been around for decades. Join us, the Trek ladies, Kavora and Jen, as we discuss the novels one at a time. Welcome to the Ladies Trek Library. Hi, this is Greg Cox. When I want to hear more about Star Trek, I tune into Starpod Trek. Hello, we're back again with Ladies Trek Library. I'm Kavora, and I'm here with Jen. How are you, Jen? Hi, good. Good to be here. Great. And so, um, also, a few weeks ago, we just started um, being followed by the, the Star Trek Reading Group. Jen, do you want to tell us about that? Sure. Well, the Star Trek Reading Group is on Facebook, and um, the premise of it is that uh, they select different books, and they make a post for each book uh, with uh, comments chapter by chapter. And so you can read along with the book um, and comment per chapter as you read. That way there's no spoilers and um, you can read it together and discuss it chapter by chapter with other people reading it. Um, they were picking books based on a voting system, um, but and they're still doing that. But in addition, they've decided they're also going to be following along with the books we read here in Ladies Trek Library. So that's exciting. And um, they've already posted the book we're covering today, No Time Like the Past by Greg Cox. And... Um, when we know which books we'll be covering in the future, um, look out on the Star Trek reading group for those. And we'll be mentioning that they'll be covered on the Ladies Trek Library podcast. Okay, awesome. So let's get to this book then. No Time Like the Past by Greg Cox. And I'll read uh, what's on the, the, the back of the book. Stardate 6122.5. A diplomatic mission to the planet U-Sub erupts in violence when ruthless Orion raiders attempt to disrupt the crucial negotiations by force. The USS Enterprise finds an unexpected ally in the form of an enigmatic stranger who calls herself Annika Seven. Stardate 53786.1, Seven of Nine is taking part in an archaeological expedition on an obscure planetoid in the Delta Quadrant, when a disastrous turn of events puts Voyager's away team in jeopardy and transports Seven across time and space to USUB, where she comes face-to-face with one of Starfleet's greatest legends. Stardate 6122.5 Kirk knows better than most the danger that even a single castaway from the future can pose to the timeline, so he and Seven embark on a hazardous quest to return her to her own era. But there are others who crave the knowledge Seven possesses, and they will stop at nothing to obtain it, even if this means seizing control of the Enterprise. That's a little description of the book. So, Jen, uh, how did you think it fits in with the, um, how do you think Seven fit in with the TOS era? Well, um, you know, before I had read anything by Greg Cox, uh, a friend of mine had given me this book, and it's it'd been sitting on my bookshelf with uh, many other Star Trek books that I haven't had a chance to read yet. 
And just based on the cover of the book, which shows Captain Kirk uh, with Seven of Nine walking behind him, like on this uh, planet, you know, it it kind of it looks like it could be a bad fan fiction. Um, you know, I think that's something everyone has joked about uh, Captain Kirk and Seven of Nine. Um, but after I had read some books by Greg Cox, um, you know, and he's an excellent writer, I knew that if anyone could pull it off, um, he could. And I wasn't disappointed. I thought he did an excellent job. Um, and, you know, as implausible as it might sound with uh, Seven of Nine going back uh, to the original series, Enterprise, um, I, I, think it, I think it was great. It worked really well. Yeah, I mean, now, if Seven of Nine had to go back in time, you know, how, like, how did it just happen to be Kirk's Enterprise, you know, the one that we're familiar with in the 23rd century, <laughs> But um, but yeah, the story was was interesting. I think um, it, they they did well saying that you know she needed to to regenerate and there was no technology in that time for for her to do that. They didn't have the the Borg technology yet, but they were able to uh, let her regenerate the best they could with drugs and with with a little bit of of technology that they could build. So they kept up uh, that part of it. Yeah, I mean, I do agree, yes. It's very improbable that if Seven of Nine was going to be transported back in time that she would just happen to land on a planet where Captain Kirk is. But, you know, they've done stuff like that on the show itself and in, in, in the novel verse. So um, a, a lot of Star Trek is not exactly plausible. But I still think he managed to pull it off. Yeah, even though, well, well and of course the book does explain that, about why it was Kirk, because he's such a big hero of his time and all. and because he went to those different planets and everything. True. Yeah, I, I don't know if we want to get into, like, spoilers of the end of the book now. But, yeah, in the, in the end of the book, it is all explained as to why uh, she ended up getting transported uh, back to Captain Kirk and having to visit uh, certain planets where uh, well-known original series episodes took place. There was a, actually a plan behind all of that. So it wasn't just a random coincidence. And so did you feel there were any issues with, with Star Trek canon with this book? Um, no, I didn't. I felt like, um, you know, of course, we have the characters who uh, a lot of them are very interested in knowing about the future. Um, you know, Scotty talks a lot about and wants to know about the engineering technology. And, you know, there's a uh, Federation diplomat aboard who's very interested in getting some secrets from Seven. Um, but she's pretty clear that she doesn't want to disrupt the timeline and that she can't, you know, she has to follow the temporal prime directive and she can't release any of that information. And Kirk supports her on that, even though, you know, he sort of thinks about it too. Wow. Wouldn't it be great finding some little hints about what's going to happen in the future. But so she doesn't really reveal anything, you know, about the future. And she, even though obviously, you know, she's got her board implants um, and there are questions about that. She never really reveals uh, how she got them or what they're for or even what period in the future she comes from. I thought it was able to fit into Canon because of that. And as you mentioned, um, her need to regenerate, you know, she she does explain enough that they understand that and they're able to sort of help her uh, by using a combination of, like, meditation techniques she learns from Spock and um, a, a, sort of like a primitive form of regeneration that Scott and, uh, Scotty and Spock hook up for her as well as some um, sedatives and things from McCoy. So Yeah, I thought everything, it, it fit well as far as the timelines. Um, 
So, so you have seven in the past, and she didn't she didn't reveal too much. Yeah, yeah, like it, it was good that she didn't like she didn't even say what time period she was from. So so they they didn't know much. Um, the 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 diplomat he was kind of. Oh, oh yeah, Commissioner Santiago, who, who wanted he he was like, well, if she's from the future, we could use that knowledge. I mean, I don't really feel like anyone, you know, from the Federation should should feel that way. Like, you know, he he was just a little too hard nosed about that, and he was almost like the you know the Orions that wanted to to kidnap Seven of Nine and sell her to the the Klingons for her knowledge. But I guess that was just because they they need to have. They, they needed an antagonist on on the Enterprise, just someone to to be against Kirk and say all these things. Yeah, I agree. When I was first reading it, I kind of felt the same way. I, I thought, you know, I I can't really believe that this Federation diplomat is, you know, even if they didn't have the temporal crime directive in Kirk's time, he surely understands the implications about the future, uh, you know, and not knowing what's going to happen. But when we understand that that in a way her journey was sort of all planned. So, you know, at the end of the book, we learn that the time traveling device that seven, uh, that had transported her back to this time period was a device that, uh, a person on the planet Sarpidon created. And he created with a specific intention that whoever was found the pieces of this device. And she had, there were four pieces that had to be put together in order for her to return back to her, own time and place. And this was a unique uh, time travel device because it could transport across time and space. And that's how she ended up going from the Delta Quadrant, you know, to wherever Kirk is in the the Alpha Quadrant or Beta Quadrant. But he explains that he did this, had her, her or whoever found his device do it for the specific reason of visiting these planets where people ended up using technology for their own destruction or in bad ways. And it was sort of to teach a lesson about you know, technology in the wrong hands or by people who make bad decisions, you know, what, what it can do. And so then I kind of realized that Commissioner Santiago was, you know, really put there more to be like not an antagonist because really the antagonists were the Orions and his aide who was the, who was a, really a spy for the Orions and we didn't know that in the beginning. But he was there more to be the, the person who's the, you know, I want what I want regardless of the consequences and you know that how that sort of attitude can lead to destruction as it did on you know these other planets but but you're right I you know it it was a little hard to believe that someone from the Federation would have that attitude but you know we've seen people in in the original series and even later episodes where they've got a attitude that's a little surprising you know the bad morals and some of the uh the rogue Starfleet officers who are, you know, greedy and just driven by their own desires and not really the ideals of Starfleet. So I guess I could see it. And in the end, he did, you know, he realized his mistake and he admitted it. So yeah, he did change at the end, and it was a good, it was a good payoff at the end. The way when the whole story came together that way. So how did you think um, like this was similar or different from from other time travel stories? Or for for Star Trek time travel? Well, it was pretty different in that, you know, we find out at the end that it had all been a part of a a plan where it wasn't just a a random accident. I mean, even though I don't think the 
the the creator of the time travel machine necessarily knew that it was going to be seven uh, that would, you know, go on this journey. He knew it was going to be someone, and it was planned for that. Um, and we really haven't, at least in any of the novels that I've read or in the, you know, on the show or movies, I don't really recall, like, that sort of time travel. Usually it's more like an accident, you know. I think that this was – um it was different because it it wasn't as complex as something, you know, like when we read the entropy effect and there was so much, so many, they created different timelines and all. And this wasn't really a complex story. It almost, it almost wasn't as much of a, a time travel story. Most of it took, took place in the, in the original series timeline and, and, and their timeline, they, they did go back to the past of the planet Sharon and they went in the past of Sarpide and, but it's still it wasn't that complex, so it, it wasn't hard to follow like some time travel stories are. And they weren't as concerned with you know affecting the future as much because they were they had their own mission to do, you know, helping Seven get those those artifacts. So it was mostly about that. So it wasn't a complex time travel story, which is which is good. I mean, it was it, it was a still it was a story that held together on its own and it made sense. So. But I just wanted to say that's how it was different because it wasn't as complex. So for people who don't really like time travel stories as much, <laughs> that's what I mean. It just sort of um, it's a pretty easy to follow story as far as time travel goes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, the entropy effect was was a bit uh, confusing with the different timelines, and I've read even more confusing ones. That, I don't know if you've read the the Deep Space Nine Millennium trilogy. I mean, that is like really difficult to follow time travel. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and this was not. This was basically seven that gets transported back into Kirk's time. The majority of the story, as you said, takes place during that time. Uh, there are a few missions that she and Kirk go on to retrieve the pieces that they need to complete the time travel machine um, where they're going back in time on other planets. Um, but it's it's pretty simple to follow. It's not a you know, one of these ones where it's like, is this going to affect this in the future? And how does this change things? And does this person even exist anymore after they make this action? Yeah. Okay. So um, did you have any favorite parts of the book? I, um, well, you know, I really actually just starting off in the beginning where uh, they're in, you know, she's aboard Voyager and uh, Seven and Janeway and uh, Tuvok and Neelix, uh, they get this signal uh, that's a starfleet signal, but it's an old starfleet signal coming off this planet in the Delta Quadrant. And they have to go and investigate and they, you know, go down to the planet and they find, um, you know, a sort of, uh, in a cave, like a monument to Captain Kirk. And just the mystery of that, I really just enjoyed the beginning of that because it, it sort of, uh, to me, felt like a, almost like an Indiana Jones Star Trek crossover, you know, um, so I really just enjoyed the mystery of that part. I think that was probably one of my favorites. But, um, I, I mean, I enjoyed the book overall as a whole. I thought all of the different adventures were interesting. But, um, yeah, this started off really great for me. What about you? I just, yeah, I like the, um, the fact that they went to different planets that we were familiar with, like the planet in the Apple and then the planet Sharon and Sarpiden. I mean, the... You know the fan surface. I always like the the references to um, episodes that we're familiar with. Oh, and they even mentioned um, Zar from Yesterday's Son. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, so I mean, 
to yeah to another novel yeah yeah that was pretty cool that he referenced um ac crispin's uh novel uh yesterday's son um so that was neat and and uh you know greg cox's books are always like chock full of references to original series episodes which i personally love so um I loved going back to these episodes and, you know, some of my favorite episodes and, but it was a different thing happening. It wasn't like seven was going back to that episode. She was going back to the planet with Kirk. So that was really cool. And I also thought in addition to all of the many references he puts in to various Star Trek uh, episodes um, and not just in, in them visiting the planets, but like, I mean, there's one, you know, his sense of humor, like, there's one chapter in chapter 25 where um, McCoy says, well, I'll be a Mugatu's uncle. Or, no, sorry, Scotty says that. Yeah, so yeah, he throws in little things like that, referencing Star Trek. But in this book, he also, which was interesting for me because it's a time travel story, he also threw in some references to some of the other Star Trek uh, series. So there's one uh, part I highlighted in chapter 30 where, where Kirk says, just make it so. And uh, another time where uh, someone mentions an undiscovered country and uh, then a section with the Orions uh, where they're in the cargo hold trying to hide out and they come upon a cargo bin full of self-sealing stem bolts. Yes. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, it is neat that he throws in all those little things. And, and it's like, yeah, because most of most of the people who read this book are going to be familiar with all of those things. And so it's just really neat that he throws them all in. Yeah, and he also, I love how he sort of, you know, in, in, in a way that only someone who loves it can do, he pokes fun at some of the stuff that we laugh at now when we watch the original series. So, you know, of course they have low-budget stuff, and it's from the 60s. So, you know, there's a scene where they visit the species uh on the planet Charon where, you know, they're half black and half white. And Seven thinks to herself, well, the Borg had never assimilated a species with such improbable coloring. And um, there's another scene where uh, they are, they're on the planet Charon and, you know, they're caught in the middle of some civil, you know, a war or battle going on. And Kirk's uh, Starfleet uniform gets torn and uh, it just made me laugh because it was like, how many episodes, you know, does his uniform end up getting torn, right? Especially the one with the right, yes. and the, and the, when he's with the Gorn. So it was just, you know, and then there's like another time where, you know, McCoy's got his, you know, he's got a, calls one of the Orions a Greenskin Witch. So it was like all these little funny, funny references that, you know, making fun of the original series in like a loving way that I really loved about it. And another thing he added that I thought was interesting was that um, that he said the Orions take testosterone before battle. I mean, that was just interesting because it's never been said before on the show, and it was just an, a neat little thing to, to add to it. So that was just a cool thing to add to the mix. Yeah, so it would be any, interesting. Uh, if we if we ever spoke to him to ask him what what made him uh, where he came up with that idea or if that was an idea that's maybe been used elsewhere if it if it is I I don't you know it's not a book that I've read and I don't recall it from the show or the movies but yeah that was interesting yeah yeah so any uh, downsides to the book 
Um, I did not have any. I, I love this book. Um, like I said, it, for me, it started out like Indiana Jones and then it, it was like an adventure in the original series. And I think, I feel like Greg Cox captures the original series in a way that no other author does. I mean, there's some other authors who've written great original stories, original series stories, but whenever I read his books, I, I just feel like it could be an episode. Like he writes it just like as if it were an episode that I was watching at the original series. And I could see this being an episode. So I thought it was great. And I would definitely recommend it to fans of the original series. Um, I also love seven of nine as a character. She, she's one of my favorite characters. So I love seeing her here. And to me, she fit right in with, with how he made it work. Now, if someone has never watched Voyager, I don't know that they would, you know, enjoy it as much. Hopefully they at least know who the character was, but I think they'd still enjoy the story as a whole if they're an original series fan. For me, I thought it was, um, it, it was a well-written book and I, and I do like Gray Cox. I've read some of his other books. This one, I kind of thought it was more like, this is more plot driven than some, than some other Star Trek books. I mean, it, I, I didn't feel like it got into the characters' heads as much. It just seemed like it was just a story where they're just, you know, it's, it's story driven where they're just driven by what they have to do next and what happened to them. And I mean, I would have liked to see more of, of what they were thinking, I guess. But, but I mean, but it was a good story. It was enjoyable. And, and I do like that, like, and, and the way Kirk, it, cause it focused more on Kirk out of the original series than the other characters. Um, I, I do like how he was, when he thought about Seven, he, I mean, he, he did have the thought that she's attractive, but he didn't get into that too much because, I'm, I mean, even though Kirk, like Kirk has this reputation as a ladies man, but he doesn't, he doesn't go too far with it. And, and I like how the book treated that, like, okay, I mean, yeah, he, he recognizes that she's beautiful, but then move on, we've got a mission. So, and I do feel like that, that really is true to Kirk's character. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you're right. It is a very plot driven book. There isn't really much time at all spent inside the characters' heads. Um, I mean, if anyone, maybe seven, a little bit more than the others, but, but we still don't really get a, a great feel of, you know, what it's like for her being on the Enterprise, you know, in the past. And maybe that part of that is just because of who she is. She's, you know, at the end of the book, there's a period where, uh, she starts feeling nostalgia and missing Voyager. She sees some interactions between uh, Spock and McCoy, and it reminds her of Neelix and Tuvok, and she kind of feels a little homesick, and she kind of says, thinks to herself, oh, you know what, it's not like me to be nostalgic or to think about these sort of things. It must be because I'm tired and I, you know, I haven't regenerated. But aside from that, we don't really get a, a lot inside of her head. But, you know, I, I guess a book can't be everything, and I, I still really enjoyed it for what it was. And another uh, good thing I'd like to mention is that um, Kirk, Kirk kept remembering all the crewmen who, who died in this story, which is something that, you know, that the original series has been criticized for, that the red shirts, and, and they, they die in an episode and no one remembers them, but Kirk always remembered their names, and he kept he kept mentioning that, at least to himself in this. That was one thing he was thinking, like, oh, well, th- this this person died and this person died. It, I mean, it is good that he kept uh, remembering them. Yes, um, and I, I agree with you on that as well about Kirk. And, again, I think that 
shows that, you know, how much of a fan of the original series Greg Cox is, because, I mean, really, and anyone who's writing it probably is a fan. But as you said, a lot of people who maybe aren't really into Star Trek have this, Kirk has this reputation, and he's a womanizer, and, you know, but if you watch the show, you, you can really see, I mean, he... He's really not the person who has the problem with women. It's, it's Spock is the one who's made the comments about women being emotional and, you know, things like that. Uh, Kirk, whenever he, you know, is trying to seduce a woman, it's usually because he's got an ulterior motive. He's trying to escape. He's trying to save his crew. I mean, he did have some romances, but he was never, uh, you know, he wasn't like a, a pig. Uh, it's kind of, I don't want to insult pigs, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know. It's an, if you're really a fan of the show and you watch it, you don't really have that opinion then. But but that's sort of the reputation that he's just sort of like a sexist pig who seduces all these women, and and that's really not how it was. Um, so I appreciate that that as well, and I appreciate that you know it does show what kind of a captain Kirk is. That you know these uh, three different red shirts who are killed, that you know Kirk thinks about them and isn't just like, oh, well, you know, another one of my security details got killed. Let's move on. I mean, he does have to move on, continue going with his mission, but it's not, you know, he, he is thinking about that and it's not like, it just doesn't mean anything to him. And of course, in this book, we have a happy ending because when Seven uh, goes back to her own time period, uh, she destroys the time machine and that means that it never happened in the first place. And so, uh, you know, the, the three red coat, the red, I keep wanting to call them red coats, <laughs> red shirts. I don't know why I'm saying that. <laughs> the three red shirts end up not being killed after all. And Kirk, Kirk is the only person who retains a memory of what happened. And so he's happy, you know, to that, that he doesn't lose these members of his crew. And I do think that that was, um, it was a bit, very intriguing part, um, in the scene where, when they were on Sarpiden's past and Kirk, got buried in the ice and he he died there but since it you know it's since it's time travel it turned out that that part got erased but um but yeah that was a very gripping part of the story where they where she said she had to leave Kirk there in the ice there was nothing she could do for him so that was that was a very emotional part of the story that was very gripping yeah i mean even though we knew obviously that Kirk wasn't going to die because obviously then <laughs> Everything else in the universe wouldn't be what we know it is. It was still, you know, an emotional scene. I agree. And it was well done. So any other uh, last thoughts? No, I mean, I think I've, I, I'll just reiterate that I, I, I loved it um, for what it was. I think it's a great original, original series episode and um, definitely up there among my favorites. I think it was good, but not not as great for me. But it was, but it, it was good. It was worth a read because of the um, the, the characters and and the plot. It was a very entertaining story. Yeah, it was an interesting story. Which I I, I don't know that we've actually even our discussion maybe didn't touch on that. But um, you know, the in order to return to her own time, there were you know four pieces of this machine, and Seven had to to get all. Four of them. So it was like an adventure, you know, a sort of like a following someone on a on a journey where they had to, you know, pick up different things along the way. Um, and, and that's sort of a traditional. You see that a lot in traditional mythology that you know the hero has to acquire these different things before they can achieve their journey. So in that way, um, 
and I enjoy that type of story. Uh, so I like that. Yeah, and so I would I would give it five out of five stars. Thanks for joining us on this away mission. Please give us a five star review on your podcast app. This helps others find out about us too. We welcome feedback and comments. Drop us a subspace transmission via starpodlog at gmail dot com. That's s t a r p o d l o g at gmail dot com. Music for this episode provided by Five Year Mission. Until next time, live long and prosper.